watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we are doing something so very special. Our second annual Best of the Year uh, countdown. Yes. And it's our first that we're doing where we've actually watched the whole year of movies together. We have. This is, uh, our, we're wrapping up our first year of a podcast. Guys. Wow. It's been a ride. It has been a ride. And the fact that our first full year as a podcast coincide with the worst year in human history. <laughs> Should we take that as a... As Are a, we as responsible? A, <laughs> you know, who's to say? We will continue to chalk it up to David Bowie's death in January, having, yeah. having undone the fabric that was in of January? the universe. That was in January. That was the night of the Golden Globe Awards. Because I remember um, Lady Gaga had won for American Horror Story Hotel. Simpler times, January was. And um, and I was like, oh man, this is going to really ruin her night when she finds out that Bowie died. Oh, wow. And then she did that tribute to him at the, at the Grammys. And everyone's like, woof, that was terrible. And yeah, I was like, nobody oh. liked that. Yeah, no, no one did. Uh, wow, that feels like that was later in the year. Mm-mm. When was Prince? Uh, Prince was after Bowie. March? Um, yeah, something like that. February, March. Wow. Yeah, that was when we first started to really know that things weren't going to go our way. Yeah, one's a coincidence. Yeah, two is just like, okay, this is this is some kind of like catastrophic, uh, uh, you know, a galactic event. And as we all know, that is how things have continued to play out That's this what year. Happened. But, um, but here we are. And uh, because last year, guys, we started this podcast in October 2015. And um, so we only had three years to get through where we were both really doing this in earnest. But now we have done every week. Oh, 2016. We've chronicled every shit stain moment of this year. <laughs> and um, and so we could be more excited to be coming to you uh, today to do our best of the year. Um, so excited, in fact, that we are day drunk. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, this is wonderful. <laughs> this is. I don't usually drink while we do the show. No, no, guys. We are sober at least nine times out of ten. Or at least, yeah. uh, so Rebecca is ten times out of ten. I have showed up drunk for a couple. You have. Um, <laughs> and you have let us know. I tend to be loud about it, mm-hmm. um, as I am about most things, because I am a consistent person. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we are one bottle into our sparkling rosé because we are a gay podcast. <laughs> 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 so, so we are here and queer and, and drunk and, and drunk. Sure, it doesn't need to rhyme. Um, what has been the highlight of this year for you, Jason? Either either movie-related, personally? Mm, yeah, you know, I, I do think it's important to look back and still find the things to be grateful for in a terrible year, um, because otherwise the terrorists have won. Um, I think that... Well, I mean, the fact that Scott and I went to Europe this year mm. certainly, I think, stands out as the highlight of it, mm-hmm. um, because that was something that we'd always wanted to do and neither of us had ever done before, and we did it. And, you know, it was a, a Herculean undertaking of immense planning and um, and great courage, <laughs> and, uh, and we did it. And so I felt great about that. Um, I look back, and I, I'm thrilled that I got to see our friend Lorraine's movie, The Meddler, come out mm-hmm. and be so warmly received. It was named the number one movie of the year by Vanity Fair recently, really, which is so fantastic. That magazine's doing terribly. <laughs> yes, I love how Vanity Fair has. Um, I didn't even think about that. How they've uh, really uh, accepted Trump's criticism, and now like yes. the banner on their page is like, "We're the worst." Subscribe I now. I, I love it. We need to bait him into a Twitter feud. We need to do it. We need to bait him into a Twitter feud because God knows oh that, my that, God. that fucking baby. 
um, will fight anybody who comes for him. Yes. Um, like like the deranged rowdy star he is. Yeah. And so we just need to do it. And then we can be just like, Donald Trump hates our podcast because we're homos. Bait the baby. Oh, my God. Bait the 2017, baby. 2017, the year this of baiting the baby. Guys. Help us. If you have ideas about what in particular would really get his goat, let us know. Yeah. Um, and we would uh, be happy to uh, to hear that out. Um, and I think, you know, I also saw both Beyonce and Dolly Parton in concert this year. So, wow. I mean, like, who can hit a year in which you get to have both of those goddesses bless you with their voices live in person? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, both of whom, you know, coincidentally, are on the, the soundtrack of The Meddler. So, oh, yeah. So there's that. Oh, we'll be talking about The Meddler a bit more later as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, so I feel like they're, I was looking at my Instagram, actually. I was like, how do I even look back on my year? Because I've never been anybody who's kept, like, a journal. Not in um, your Moleskine? No, not even my Moleskine. That's just for my appointments, Rebecca. You isn't, know that. Isn't that what a journal can be? Well, a looking back I mean, at I guess I could look back and see my appointments, but now that I've been doing it just in my, in my iCal, that's mm-hmm. really taken over. Um, so, you know, I look back at my Instagram um, to see where I've been. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, oh, I saw a lot of cool shit this year. Um, you know, a lot of great shows, lots of great traveling. And, of course, not least of which... Week after week, sitting in this little room with you. Yeah. Um, oh, Rebecca's showing me a picture of us from the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. My hair is weird and flat. <laughs> <laughs> that was when we co-hosted um, uh, your Radio Valencia show, Indignation. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's from when that was, about a year, mm-hmm. a little over a year ago. Uh, guys, it's been a time. It's been a time. And um, and we have seen so many fucking movies this year. We have. And for very little in the way of rewards. <laughs> <laughs> if you think we make money for this podcast, we do not. No. Um, I don't think anybody makes money off a podcast. We spend money. We spend time. We get nothing in return except for occasional texts from friends who also listen to the podcast and mm-hmm. want to challenge us and tell us that we're wrong. But we love it, and we've, we keep we've got, doing we've it. We've met some interesting people. <clears throat> we, have. Um, we have. The interviews were have been a lot of fun. They have. I've uh-huh. only done two, but I enjoyed both of them yes. a lot. Yes, and especially, I mean, like, even though I feel like, to our lasting regret, you you said no to Mehershala Ali um, for your Kicks interview. <sighs> you fool. Rebecca Coe spoken to presumptive Oscar frontrunner Mehershala Ali uh, when she interviewed the filmmaker who did Kicks, which is an Oakland-based film that's co-starred Mr. Ali. And I was like, Rebecca, want Mahershala Ali? And she's like, no. Because she was, she was like, I don't know what I want. She's like, I don't know what I would say to an actor. I just want to ask the filmmaker questions. <laughs> I'm still growing into this. She is. She is. Um, she's still teething. It was my, that was my highlight of the year. But I guess <laughs> <laughs> I should mew it through Jason's Land, which is my biggest All Right, regret. your biggest, biggest biff. I just started watching Luke Cage, and he's fantastic in that Isn't as well. Isn't he? Isn't he? I love that. I love, uh, I love he Luke is, Cage. He is, and he's what a beautiful man. Yeah, definitely. Spectacularly talented. Beautiful man. Very versatile in his acting. Uh, but uh, we'll be talking about him and his film Moonlight also mm-hmm. a bit later. But Rebecca, what else would you say was a highlight for you this year? Um, uh, <laughs> some good traveling. Um, it was been to fun. Cleveland. Cleveland sports happened, right? Sports happened. Oh, that's the other thing I was going to say. Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers winning 2016 NBA champions. Mm-hmm. Can't hate that. That was uh, that thing. Nope, that's not true. I was gonna say nothing has made me cry more this year. Actually, oh. maybe nothing has made me cry more. Hmm. Um, I cry. I cried a lot about that. You did. Um, very emotional time. Good mm-hmm. in a good way. Yeah. Um, it's been great watching all these movies and kind of getting back mm. into like how how you think about things. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, yeah, again, traveling has been awesome. I, I was able to go to London, which was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, had some wild times. Otherwise, it's been, uh, you know, 
fairly yeah. shitty. Um. <laughs> I think we also and we both celebrated anniversaries with we our did. you mm-hmm. know our our, our our significant others, mm-hmm. which is you know always significant in that in that sense that they're significant to us. <laughs> that my, my is voice is very true. deeper. My voice is deeper today than usual, guys. Because it is. I Rebecca and I both last night were at a going away party because no one does anything but leave San Francisco. Yeah, we were at a going away party for a coworker of mine who Rebecca met in London. Mm-hmm who um, is moving to L.A. with work. And um, and it was at Zeitgeist, a bar in San Francisco that has an enormous patio. We were not on the patio because it's, guys, if you don't live here, you don't know this. It has been so fucking cold. Freezing. Oh it was like 30-something. And I know that most of you are probably like scoffing at us right now. But just remember, don't deny that climate change has made all you normally cold places warmer during winter. Mm-hmm. We know it has. We go back and visit. <laughs> <laughs> and it has been like lows literally in the 30s, which is unheard of yeah. in San Francisco. I've had to go buy gloves. I know. What the fuck? I, I haven't worn my pea coat in public. <laughs> not <laughs> just around my apartment <laughs> with nothing underneath. <laughs> That's not why they call it a pea coat, Jason. <laughs> it's not a pea coat. It's a pea coat. Um, yeah, I was wearing this fucking pea coat like, last night. Jason, I'm becoming my mother. <laughs> Jason, I'm becoming my mother. Last night, I was wearing this pea coat at this friend's birthday, and um, it was at the bar that had the giant patio. But they had their they they don't even really have doors separating the bar from the mm-hmm. patio, and so it was just all the cold air as the night was going on, just washing into the room. And I woke up this morning and my voice was like this uh, because, of course, Work I was it. yap, yap, yap in my way through that I love party. love a good pea coat. I mean, I, I did get complimented on it, which whenever people compliment my, my attire and I feel like I'm just turning it up even a little bit, I'm like, God, how badly do you think I normally dress? Don't answer that question. Uh, Rebecca's currently sitting across from me mm. while I'm wearing a, a novelty t-shirt with B. Arthur's likeness on it and a very tattered pair of sweatpants. <laughs> Do you have any t-shirts that are not novelty? I've been really growing into my novelty tea phase of my life. Um, I don't want to resist it. Uh, I, yeah. I feel like it's my authentic self and I'm... Uh, I've been currently browsing different Heather's novelty tees. <laughs> I, feel like oh. I don't do tattoos. I do t-shirts. So rather than have tattoos that tell people what I care about, I will do that for my t-shirts. Okay. And okay. I feel like as a 34-year-old man, that's my call to make. I mean, I guess so. Why fight it? Just... Uh, that's been a, a big turning point this year as well. And, uh, you know, and I feel like I learned that from our, our, our frequent co-host and friend Joshua Grinnell. He loves a novelty tea. Yeah. He and I have similar builds. I'm leaning into it. Oh, it's a build thing? It's also a build thing, yes, because they just don't make cute clothing in my size. So, hmm. you know what's cute? A, a t shirt that is not a novelty t shirt. Mm, I don't know if that's true. It's just like a plain t shirt. I feel like that's like that's like an empty billboard. Like, why, you know, <laughs> just like, you're like, well, why is that even there? Like, put something on it. I mean, I mean to get I, you more political t shirts. I think as long as, as long as it's something I actually care about that I'm fine with. I used to be one of those people who was like, oh my God, a t shirt with something on it. Um, but now I'm just like, well, as long as it's something that I like, you know, I'm not going to wear some like fashion brand t shirt that has their stupid fucking saying on it. Um, mm, but I like will wear a shirt a that Nike says, shirt like something? a Nike shirt. I will wear a shirt that has B. Arthur's face on it that says Friend of Dorothy, which yeah. is what I'm wearing right now. That is what you're wearing. Um, sh- how do you want to do this? So we have a list of movies that we are do. best of the year. Yeah. Uh, we sort of, uh, we each put up our 10. Mm-hmm. We had an overlap of, I think, four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, in total, we have 13. Yes, was, lucky I'm, 13. We cover, carry the one. Yes. Um, and then. Which we had to ask Scott to help us with because it's math. We are not good at math. No. And five of them were from the first half of the year, which we had already discussed in a previous mm-hmm. podcast. Yes, but we love them so much. We want to make it clear. We're not going to give them a ton of love in this episode because mm-hmm. we feel like we've talked about them now literally twice because we had the original review of those. And we'll link to all this from the website, thebinge.us. 
but we talked about them on the original episode as well as on the mid-year episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll talk about them again now just to let you know that like these are the ones from a mid-year countdown that we still love so much yeah. at the end of the year that it's they're going toe-to-toe with the heavy hitters. Should we just go into those right now? Let's do um, that. Yeah, sure. Why not? And, and now that I'm looking at this list, these are all movies I've seen. Even though we've been watching multiple movies a week for the show, these yeah. are all movies I've seen multiple times. Oh, that's great. So I've been able to make room for these because I love them so Aww. much. So of our top 13, yes. um, the ones that came out in the first half of the year that we already discussed are The Lobster. The Lobster. Which still ranks, I think, if we were... We didn't really rank our picks. No. I think it'd still be in the top two. I think it's like... yeah. I think it's I think it's my my personal number three overall mm-hmm. this year. Um, but I I, I I oh god, I feel like that movie just got done so fucking raw and dirty by its distributor because you know it kind of felt its its original distributor fell through, and it got picked up by some by a twenty four at the mm-hmm, last second, mm-hmm. which that's fantastic. Right. But I mean, it's just what a phenomenal vision it was, and we're still holding out hope. It doesn't have a lot of Oscar hope. But some people have it shortlisted for best original screenplay. And like, mm-hmm. what is a more oh, original yeah. screenplay Absolutely. this year than The Lobster? Holy shit. Yeah. Um, so we want to continue to bang the drum for The Lobster and to encourage you all to see it. I know it's a super polarizing movie. It's, it's, <laughs> its user rating on iTunes is historically low. Is it really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh my God. People are just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. I mean, I feel like if it was, if it came out as a play or a short story, it would have easily won, uh, won awards that way. I mean, it mm-hmm. is a really unique story. Um, and you know it's in the movie the movie itself is it's fantastic the acting is fantastic yeah. like it's beautiful uh, it's it's very quirky and yeah. oh and Colin Farrell got nominated at the Golden Globes for it that's oh, right he, did. he got nominated for best actor in a comedy or musical oh good I think that's like yeah that's definitely a Golden Globes win for their category splits because you end up yeah. getting a performance like that that gets recognized yeah um, he's not gonna win but you know like it's it's fantastic that he got in there and um, you know The Lobster it's available on VOD iTunes DVD Blu-ray all those things, and um, and we still love it. And it was our number one, I think, in mid-year. I think we it did was, rank yeah. them. It was our number one mid-year, mm-hmm. and it's still in our both of our, at least our top fives or top threes mm-hmm. for the whole year. So we really fucking love that movie. Another one that came out in the beginning of the year uh, that's on our favorites of the year list is Zootopia. Zootopia. Also known as Zootropolis yes. in other parts of the world. And just for reasons that are not clear to us. <laughs> it's a translation issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, what mm-hmm. another unique, important, um, adorable, hilarious yeah. uh, animated movie with so much heart. Uh, and a movie that's become more essential post-election. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> which is sad um, that it's become more relevant. But at least it's there. At least it's there. It's there in the world for people to watch and to have as a tool for their kids to learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still, it's still every bit as potent. Every bit as smart. I've been putting it, yeah, this is something that is, I think it's also in my top five. Like Zootopia mm-hmm. and Lobster are both my top five for the entire year. Me too. And um, and I think that Zootopia deserves a spot in the original screenplay as well because it's so yeah. fucking smart and so clever and so original. I think There's we nothing talked, else like it. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this when we were talking about Moana, which didn't make the list, but uh, we were Moana. talking about there you go Moana. Again. <laughs> okay. Joanne. I'm, Re- I'm Rebecca from Moana Ohio and I love Moana, you know. <laughs> Um, just uh, what a weird world it'll be if, if things continue to be so backwards politically and, and the, the climate is so harsh um, but kids are growing up you know you're a kid you watch the same movie over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. and they're watching Zootopia and they're watching right. Moana and they're like the the way they're going to process that information and yeah. realize what's going on in the world as they get older is going to be a very interesting. I wonder. Maybe it's the other way around you grow up with yeah regressive backwards things exactly right. and then you kind of come learn. to something I wonder what it'll be like whenever those kids growing up with Zootopia get to the point where they realize what it's actually about. Yeah. You know, in the same way that like 
when you first find out that like you know the wizard of oz is you know an allegory for you know like you know drugs and you know it's opium is poppy seeds and all this shit and you're like wait what hold on <laughs> hold on new podcast um <laughs> but uh but you know i see it when they start to realize what that's about um it's going to be a, a beautiful thing i think mm-hmm. and uh it's a great film. I'm certainly still pulling for it to win Best Animated Feature. I certainly hope it does. Yeah, um, definitely. If you have any, uh, you know, your friends are having kids. You have nieces and nephews. Mm. Christmas time is coming. You need some right. stocking stuffers. Zootopia. Even though it also led to that, um, <laughs> the Hollywood Reporter roundtable about diversity in animation, where it was only oh, white guys. Yeah, it was like Seth Rogen because they were talking about Sausage Party. Yeah, exactly. It was all white guys. Whoopsie daisies. Um, but uh, so Zootopia is also available on VOD, iTunes, DVD, and Blu-ray, and also I believe it's streaming on Netflix because mm-hmm. of their big deal with Disney. Uh, the next one that we both agreed on uh, from the beginning of the year is The Meddler. The Meddler. Here we are. I didn't get a chance to watch The Meddler the first time we reviewed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched it uh, since then, and I was not at all prepared uh, for all of the depth of emotion of this movie, how, how many feels mm-hmm. um, from it. Um I thought it was just going to be a straight-up comedy, yeah, and it was not. Nope. Nope. It has so much heart. So much heart. So much heart. And, uh, you know, and that's a testament to Lorene Scafaria's screenplay and her direction um, and how much of herself she poured into it, how personal it is to her, how mm-hmm. she was able to hold on to that kind of core piece of it that does speak to her own experiences, um, that she was able to pull together this amazing cast and crew to realize that, and in a way that just beat for beat it just feels so true to itself mm-hmm. and so much of peace uh with a story that it's telling and um you know i think it is uh one of the casualties this year awards wise is that susan sarandon you know became quite a, a lightning rod mm-hmm. as the year went on and now here we are at the end of the year and she is pretty much kind of borderline a pariah yeah um, and so, I mean, this is a performance that I think in any other year would have guaranteed her at the very least a Golden Globe nomination and Best Actress or music, uh, Comedy or Musical. Um, and she didn't get that. Yeah. And that's really heartbreaking. Um, and Twitter. What has it done to this world? <laughs> only bad things. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of our favorites of the year. Um, and uh, if you haven't seen it yet, do yourself a favor. Especially if you're finding things to watch with your family over the holidays. The Meddler is such a great movie to watch with mm-hmm. your family. Oh, absolutely. It's it's one of the best stories about... It's one of the best movies about a mom ever. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, you know, if you're looking for a movie about a mom that's, like, uplifting, but not uncritical. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes a very, like, measured, thoughtful, considerate eye toward one woman who is a mother. And you kind of, you know, enjoy some laughs at, like, her quirks and foibles and her, like, different oppressive kind of tendencies but also really just like cuts the core of who she is mm-hmm. and what drives her and, and uh, you know, why she is as annoying as she is and why mm-hmm. she is as meddling as she is. Um, it's one of the best performances of the year in one of the best movies of the year. And, um, and uh, we both are big fans of it. And I hope if you have not yet, that you will check out The Meddler. Um, so these last two uh, from the first half of the year are, are movies that I had floated uh, for best of uh, the year total. Um, and I think they sort of both follow in the, the tradition we've seen with these three uh, that we've already discussed is that all of these um, are stories you have not heard before, even though one is a direct adaptation of a, of a comic. So mm-hmm. we have The Invitation, yeah, um, which it. we definitely gave it a binge when it came out. Um, it's a weird story. It's a small movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it messes with you. It, yes. You get confused. You get thrown in. It gets under your skin. It gets under your skin. I watched it again I where I noticed something that was like super right. important that I should have noticed the first time. By what she means, literally the entire ending. Yeah, which is like the, the whole yeah uh, plot of the movie, basically. <laughs> 
Um, but this is one that leaves you feeling weird about yourself and your friends. Um, mm-hmm. About and, living in California. Yeah, about Californians in general. About dinner parties. Um, especially about, about LA. Being, about being accepting. Yeah, yes. <laughs> about tolerance. This is like uh, the Angry Birds for the adult set. Where it's like, <laughs> no, don't let new people in with their weird exactly, ideas. Exactly, exactly. Maybe don't treat every idea as if they're all equal and valid. <laughs> Not always true. Um, that movie really stuck with me. Um, yes, I love it so much. I'm glad you brought it in here. I couldn't quite squeeze it into my top ten, but it's absolutely one of like my my let's say mm-hmm. one of my foremost best of the rest movies. Um, is the Imitation. It's a it's definitely been the forefront of my mind. Such a tremendous cast. The direction yeah. by Karin Kasama is superb and so stylish and so on point. Screenplay is incredibly clever. Love, 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 love. Mm-hmm. Um, so by all means, if you yeah, if you've yet to watch that movie. This is always the one that you kind of keep in your back pocket with the recommendation mm-hmm. uh, when you're like, oh, you want to see a movie? Right. Find this one. It's super quiet. You probably haven't heard of it, but it's you're going to love it. Mm-hmm. And then tell five people yeah. and then tell five people and then exactly. send me a dollar. And of those five people, probably two won't like it, but that's yeah. okay. Not as many as the lobster, though. No. <laughs> yes. Three won't. Yeah, like that's it. like one in five people will actually enjoy it. And then my last pick was Deadpool. Mm, um, which is a surprise coming from, from Rebecca Olarte. I feel like that's what, why it's on the list. Uh, I never watch comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they generally don't interest me. This one uh, came off such a high recommendation from you and Scott, our right. comic book um, expert here on mm-hmm. the show. Consultant. Um, and it, it, it was amazing. It was hilarious. It was weird. Um, it was also kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, the action was interesting. Um, the filmmaking is fantastic. Ryan Reynolds, love him. Yeah. It is impossible not to love this guy. The role he was born to play. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that, you know, we're inundated with these comic book movies. And if you're, def- you're going to find one that you that you really enjoy, it's it's a very spe- a special treat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it was I think it was what people were hoping that Deadpool's success would clear the way for movies like Suicide Squad to be a bit more adult. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Warner Brothers are a bunch of wimps and they did not do that. Yeah. And they went with the PG-13 edit and everyone hated it. And that's, you know, history. I guess not everyone hated it, um, but certainly critics were very unkind to it. And um, it seems like generally the fans weren't like super, super positive for it. Mm-hmm. But Deadpool is a movie that kind of brought almost everyone together. Together, except for at least one extremely outspoken critic of it who is among our listeners Jessalyn um, <laughs> but the rest of the entire world love Deadpool <laughs> except for you Jessalyn um, I think it's I mean you, you're taking a movie that's like in this traditional um, you know violent misogynistic um, kind of movie mm-hmm. and you're taking a character who is supposed to be a complete asshole but you but it still isn't really offensive like no. it's still very uh, res- respectful and it's funny um, I feel like trying yeah. to, to make you know that it doesn't make the joke work. about things that are making it look offensive like, like the yeah. humor is irreverent but the joke is not the expense of the joke is always the expense of Deadpool himself right who exactly can, who can take it Mm-hmm. You know, he's a white, straight, cis male character. He can take the jokes being at his own expense. Who also wore a B. Arthur shirt. Who wore shirt. a B. Arthur shirt, not entirely different from the one I'm wearing right now, <laughs> over a body that's exactly the same. Uh, so he and I have that in common. Mm-hmm. And that's really who I've been trying to ape with my my wardrobe um, choices. This Ryan Reynolds? Of, Ryan Reynolds, yeah. In that movie, he also has his, like, he has, like, a Burned at Peters thing. Uh, yeah, the references in that movie were hilarious mm-hmm. so i'm worried about the sequel because the director left the project yeah that's a little worrisome um it is worrisome but we will always have the first deadpool and uh, and i agree with rebecca that it's one of the finest movies of the year also at the very top of my honorable mentions that's what i was trying to think oh of there it is yeah the very tippy top the also rans yeah the also rans is also ranning deadpool uh, so that wraps it up for the ones that came out um before what june yes. and now we're on to uh the best 
that came out since then. And we're going to do these in alphabetical order right, because not. that makes sense. Yes, they're not. we're not ranking them because it's been, you know, uh, I don't think you always need to rank these things. I think that, you no. know, because I think it's so to pit art against art in that way is not super productive. Mm-mm. And um, these are movies that we all love and want to celebrate and want to recommend to all of you to watch. Except for this one that I hate. <laughs> Um, and we're going to play clips from our original reviews of them, the same way we did with our mid-year episode, um, which is, again, why we didn't belabor the point for what we just did with our recap. You can still find our mid-year episode um, on wherever you find this show, and we'll link to it from our website as well, mm-hmm. which is, again, thebinge.us. Uh, so the first one we're going to take a look at, the first one alphabetically, is American Honey. Let's take a, a quick look at what we said about uh, American Honey at the time. This is a movie that you experience. Like, mm-hmm. it's a very experiential movie. And um, and you just kind of, like, sit down and just, like, give yourself over to it. Hmm. And, um, it's a real struggle for you. It's very, right. It's like, you know you know how I, how I put up a fight. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, but you know it's uh, it's it's very there's a great visual poetry um, to the film's photography that is very typical of Andrea Arnold's films. You mean the rat tail? Yes, the by, by which I mean Shia LaBeouf's rat tail. Yes, which I believe I saw a think piece written about in New York Magazine oh, the other really? day. Yeah, like a hymn <laughs> of praise or Shia LaBeouf's rat tail. Wow. Um, Shia LaBeouf is great in the movie. Um, yeah. You know, he's the perfect person to cast in this because he's a crazy person, and um, and he is a and he has no inhibition around, around what he'll do on camera, mm-hmm. and um, so and he he seems just as crazy as the rest of the kids. He's able to go toe to toe, crazy to crazy, you know, with these like actual street kids who he's sharing the screen with. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was funny. This you know, I saw this movie at Toronto. First check, first time I said that um, this year. <laughs> and um, and one day I was leaving um, a hotel where there was a junket, and I like was like walking to the elevators. These the kids are walking into it, and I was like, "Who are these street kids walking into?" Oh, those are the kids from American Honey. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you buy a magazine? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, uh, Horse and Hound. Um, <laughs> Jugs will be coming yes. on Monday. <laughs> yes, exactly. Is that what so I hadn't seen American Honey when when we reviewed it. Mm, uh, I've seen mm-hmm. it since. Um, so I could talk about it here. I I kept thinking about that story that you just told about <laughs> running into the, the the cast in the elevator. Right. Um, what a wild movie. Yeah. What a weird... And one of the things you mentioned in the first review is that how long it is. Yes. Um, which it is very long. And yes. it seems daunting when you're putting it on. And again, when you sort of see how slow things move and how organic the story is, there really isn't like a very clear arc of like, this is the story. It's right. very much like you're just kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, I feel like the time worked because you're not like okay this happens so this must happen so it must be this much time left over and you're just kind of enjoying this scene mm-hmm. um yeah and having fun yeah no i agree i mean i have i have a, a, a number of close friends who aggressively hated this movie really um absolutely and i thought i was going to when we, we oh man this movie is like <laughs> everything i hate like <laughs> is it how so i these this uh this kind <laughs> of lifestyle of like being so wild and free and like mm. it's very the aesthetic is very oh man how do i not be offensive just um, go for it say it it's very uh florida <laughs> um <laughs> things that never appeal to me spring break uh-huh spring breakers um, just say it reminds you of spring breakers yeah yeah i mean there's, there's that whole scene just really upsets me there was like there's a, a lot of references uh here with insects so there's like they mm. focus a lot on like these really grimy scenes, this like this culture that she comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really hard. Like, yeah. And before she even gets on the trip, you like see her home life, which is Oof. 
really depressing um trying to raise these kids under like Mm -hmm. abusive family and nobody wants them and it's just bummer after bummer after bummer so then when you start to go on this this fun ride where she says goodbye to her mom or stepmom at the at the country line dancing bar yeah and they they really that country line dancing scene was the first one Uh. i was like this is weird and i like it yes i hate I all those people yeah but you they you the camera stays there and watches this group yeah. of like see, again scene doesn't no, nobody seems like an actor anywhere right. near this movie no no you don't um, catch anybody acting in this movie and they're just dancing and you're like this is the world mm-hmm. um and this is terrible yeah and i mean i think it took both of us back to places that we have lived oh absolutely the boots and saloon oh shit in uh what's that town it's a little north of akron ohio mm-hmm. i've been there have you? I have. You've been to the boot scoot? I've been to the boot. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, my friends in like my in my freshman and, and sophomore years Boston in college. Boston Mills. That's where it is. We're very big fans of the boot. Um, so I went with them at least one time and I did fear for my life. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That- um, so, you know, like that scene was the first time. I think I also, I mean, I love the very scene, the first scene where she sees them and they're in the yeah. Walmart or whatever and they're dancing to the Rihanna song. Mm, yeah, that was I, fun. I, that was a great kind of seductive scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to go through some misery. And then, yeah, when she gets to that scene at the boot, <laughs> such as it is, you're like, okay, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that this is a movie, this movie is like two hours and 40 some minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's, it's and, and it, it does not need to be that long. It's the kind of movie that I feel like you could trim literally a full hour out of um Mm. and it would not impact the overall arc so to speak of the movie but with that said i don't know what i would point to and say like oh cut that no like a part of the length of the movie is part of the experience of the movie Mm -hmm. and i think that's part of like what makes it such a significant work of art um is that you know you really are just on this journey and you don't really know where it's going to take you or how Mm -hmm. long it's going to feel once you're on it and um and there's no moment where i was like oh get over with already like I was no, I, not at all. There's it, it develops a very kind of organic like tension and suspense. You don't know what's going to happen. Anything could happen. Like you know, we're really you know we're dealing with street kids, and so like we know like anything like in terms of like in terms of sex, in terms of violence, in terms of you know poverty. Like you know these things are all right at the forefront all through the entire story. And you know you're like, and since you're watching a movie, you're like, okay, clearly there's going to be some kind of big conflict at some point. You don't know how it's going to come or what it's going to be. And, um, and all the performances are completely naturalistic, like we're talking about. There's no, like, acting going mm-hmm, on in this mm-hmm. movie. Everybody is so natural. Um, the star of the show is Sasha Lane, mm-hmm. who is the leading lady, who was discovered by the director, Andrea Arnold. On Spring Break. On Spring Break. And is such a natural and just holds the camera's attention so mm-hmm. effortlessly. Loved Riley Keough. Riley Keough also. Her. Yes. Yeah, that's um, a, a co-worker of mine who was writing about this movie for work. Um, singled her out in his review and was like, People aren't talking enough about Riley Keough in this Mm-mm. movie. Um, and she owned it. What a weird movie. I'm, I need to watch it again. Yeah, yeah. The dynamic between her and Shia LaBeouf is so strange and awesome. This movie is also really empowering for the female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there is a, the relationship between the main the, character. Yeah, the women call the shots in this movie. The women call the shots. Um, and I, I really enjoy the way that worked out sexually. Um, mm. The relationship between her and Shia LaBeouf. I did enjoy you. You did say Shia LaBeouf the last time, and I really enjoyed Shia, it. Shia the 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 cow, <laughs> the beef, the beef, LaBeouf, LaBeouf. <laughs> yes, <laughs> LaBeouf. Not to be confused with LaBouche, La, uh, which is 90s different... house music act of "Be My Lover" fame. Go be ahead. Be my lover. Okay. Wanna be my lover. Thought you might. Um, you know they have a, a relationship. Uh, they have sex, and it's very much focused on her running the show. Mm-hmm. Uh her he's a lackey and he's like he's very much the right hand man to this woman who is the one who's organized the entire thing right and like but in this sex scene it's like watching her 
um, make like she's fulfilled in the scene. It's mm-hmm. not about him. They don't show his face. They show her, but they don't show her in a way that you're you're looking at it with a male gaze at all. Right. Um, it's, it's very much like, the work of a female director directing very a sex much. scene. It, yeah. It's really respectful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I really enjoy that. I feel like you don't see that as often. Right. Um, I mean, you don't. And 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 something about it was noticeable. It wasn't mm-hmm. overdone, right. but it was still it very noticeable. That, yeah, it caught my attention that yeah. um, it was about her. It wasn't about yeah. like him, you know, right. getting the girl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is why, why I'm glad that we get to do these kinds of episodes because, you know, a lot of the times these are movies that I have had to see without Rebecca, whether it's because it was at a film festival that she couldn't attend or whether it's because it was a screening where we weren't allowed to bring a guest. Right. Um, or so, sometimes we just or sometimes, see too much of each other. And then sometimes <laughs> we just need some, you know, mommy and daddy sometimes need their me time. <laughs> <laughs> and as mommy, I can say that that is sometimes that, you know, you just deal with it. Um, so I'm glad to hear <laughs> you chiming in on this now. And I'm glad that you were as passionate about it. This was, I thought if anything was going to fall off the list, it would be this. Um, but, um, but I'm very glad that you also were passionate about it. Yeah, it really, it really, I watched it with my wife and um, it just really captivated us. We were mm-hmm. pretty much spellbound for the three yeah. hours. Um, we left it uh, talking about it for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, highly recommend this That's one. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's out now for rent. Uh, yeah, I believe. Yes, yes, it is. Um, you can get on iTunes today. Uh, the next movie, though, is still in theaters, um, which is Arrival. Um, let's go ahead and see what we talk. We just talked about this one a couple weeks ago. Let's, yep. uh, let's let's take a listen to that. I mean, and I'll just say now, this is one of the best movies of the year. Oh wow! Arrival is one of the best movies of the year, and uh, and it deserves to be in the best picture field. Uh, she deserves to be nominated for best actress. It deserves director consideration for Denis Villeneuve. It deserves for sure cinematography consideration and original score consideration. Um, this is a real fucking stunner of a movie. Um, and I, and it was, it's one of the only movies that I've watched twice or that I've watched one more time since Toronto that I actually liked it even more. And I already loved it the first time. The second time I was almost in tears by the end of it. It's so powerful and like almost in like genuine, like, you know, like I, me who never cries, I had like an actual, like full on, like lump in my throat watching it and, you know, in the final stretch. Um, so it's, and then like, (laughs) like walked outside, the theater and the publicist who had been sent to like monitor the screening was saying they were trying to take exit comments but she was just sobbing really <laughs> like she couldn't even she was just like she was like what did you think oh. uh, so uh so yeah is this uh is this the right time to see this movie did i make the right choice and no i mean because it's not like it's good tears it's not okay. it doesn't like okay. des- it doesn't like destroy you okay. um it's okay. like it's like good cathartic tears okay um Interesting. so okay. yeah and it's so it's 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 unexpected so Rebecca, this is another uh, film that you had not seen mm-hmm. um, at the time that we uh, did our episode about it because it was something I saw at Ding, Toronto. Oh, and okay. um, I like how you say you say that you watched it in Toronto in the clip we played. Yeah, and, and then now again, just a double down, just in case anyone was wondering where I saw it and when it was September. When are you going again? In Toronto next September. Okay. Yeah. So uh, this is a film you hadn't seen yet. I have since seen it at least one more time, oh. um, and I remain a very big fan of it. Um, so when you finally got around to seeing this film, um, how did you, uh, respond to it? I do feel like I need to see it again as well. Um, Mm. at the time I thought it was pretty good. Um, I really loved Amy Adams. Mm. Um, I, I liked the use of language. I liked that it wasn't necessarily all about, you know, like, um, military might, um, but about, you know, figuring things out and trying to be empathetic and how you communicate. Yeah. Um, Thank you for cutting me off with the word communication. <laughs> I'm like, what you're trying to say is communication. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, 
I think the the things that you highlighted as like the kind of the throwaways, like the whole Jeremy Renner part, mm-hmm. um, was a little annoying. But yeah, the movie is beautiful. Um, it it has a good pace. You know, it's this. Um, it's a thinker, right? There's this whole thing about time and not a stinker. Um, about time and 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 how. I mean, I guess at the time we when we reviewed this, we kind of stayed away from giving any spoilers mm-hmm. um, which we should probably still do because it is still in theaters right um, and it's pretty crucial to the movie that you not know what happens right um, well let me jump in at this point and say that if you're still listening <laughs> at the very end of this show I'm going to spoil collateral beauty sorry we should have led with that oh yeah <laughs> yes at the end of the show I'm going to spoil collateral beauty as our re- in lieu of doing a worst movies of the year list I'm going to tell Rebecca on the show live what happens at the end of that movie I can't wait um, and then um, for you all to enjoy um, so foreshadowing, that's coming later. Or skip ahead. Yes. <laughs> if you hate what's going on. Don't skip ahead. Back to Rebecca. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, these movies like Memento and like where you're supposed to like kind of be confused by the... Um, Narrative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Communication. I don't... <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Fucking hate you. LaBeouf. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. It got a little... Um, unnecessary or confusing or mm. like when you really think about it like does that make any sense um, I've been having some conversations about it with some other people who saw the movie um, maybe I don't get it I'm, I'm open to seeing it again hmm. um, but I've, I don't know it's something about it like it feels like if you were to take this premise, it doesn't actually make any sense and it would never work and so, sure you have to suspend your belief a little bit for sure. movies but it also like I don't know. It doesn't quite work out, I don't think. So you're having second thoughts about I'm having second thoughts. putting this in the top 10. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, uh, what particular piece of it are you, is it the the actual premise in terms of a, a human trying to learn how to speak an alien language you're having trouble with? Or is it this, this, this kind of the way that it plays with time? The way it plays with time. Well, I mean, I, that's something that I'm just willing to accept at face value, I guess, with this movie. The idea that... You know, without really giving too much away, the, the 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 kind of takeaway from this movie is that the language we speak impacts the way that we view the world around us. And that the language we speak can even open up something like time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of like our perception of time is restricted and bound by the language we speak. Mm-hmm. Which um, I think that's a great premise. And as somebody who cares not a lick for science... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I that's just that's just enough of like a thinker for me mm-hmm. um, where it's just kind of like you know in the, in the same way that Beyonce's Lemonade doesn't actually say anything it just gives you a lot of signifiers that mm-hmm. like provoke you to think and feel um, but nothing too deep mm-hmm. that's how I feel about Arrival um, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I'm perfectly fine to just have this idea that like oh the language you speak could actually open up time itself um, I think that's really fascinating, however bullshitty it might be. If you're gonna if you're gonna propose something for a movie that is supposed to like confuse and like like be thought provoking, like have it make a little bit more sense. Like I, guess, I think you could take like the Matrix and be like, okay, that was a really well thought out. I mean, it's not it wasn't original, but it was like a very well crafted uh, alternate reality option that that like they really kind of without getting too nitty gritty or uh, describing it too much. Like there were not too many like loopholes that you'd be like oh that doesn't actually work like mm-hmm. it they really it was really pretty thorough and i feel like this one like think about this crazy thing like but then like when you think about it, it doesn't actually really make a lot of sense 
Uh, it I, might be a it might know. be a point of disagreement. That's it for sure. Be, yeah. I will definitely watch it again. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that's crucial to to where I sure. where I end up landing on this. But I just right now I'm a little a little fell yeah. a little bit less in love with it because I um. Mm. But I mean, there are other parts of the movie that are great, like Amy Adams again, mm-hmm. fantastic. Just what it's about. Yeah, communication. And I, think, and I think communication. I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said, but I said communication. And, <laughs> um, and I think you know, just I mean, the filmmaking is the the, the direction, the photography, mm-hmm. the music. It's like the sense of wonder you feel first going up into that mm-hmm. pod, and the sense of just like mind blown, like what? As you're watching the aliens first begin to communicate, mm-hmm. you're like, what the fuck is that? Um, you know, like I, that all worked for me. I thought it was just pure cinema, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, like, yeah, I've watched it like three times now and, and there's nothing about it that sticks out to me as like, well, that makes no sense. Um, you know, like I feel like I'm willing to, I think when I like something, I'm willing to make whatever leap of faith it needs me to make Mm -hmm. and, um, without really like pushing it. Um, and, um, and that's how I feel about Arrival. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, like the, yeah, nothing about it sticks out to me. Like when I think about like, oh, is there something about that movie that bothers me? Literally nothing about about the movie bothers me. I Mm -hmm. fucking love it and i'm a sucker for a mood piece and, and arrival is very much a mood piece like definitely it, it takes you on an emotional journey and it takes you there with its music and its photography and its acting and i it just go along for the ride every mm-hmm. time i watch it and um I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge fan um and that one's still in theaters mm-hmm. um unlike our next movie which is no longer in theaters uh the handmaiden the handmaiden is it in some theater somewhere <laughs> hey, I'm gonna fight you on this communication. <laughs> let's uh, let's listen to our clip from The Handmaiden. Okay, this is maybe as graphic of lesbian sex as I've seen in a non-pornographic movie, even considering blue is the warmest color. Yeah. Yes. You agree? I agree. Yeah. It's a lot. It's it's a, it's a, I mean they this revisit it. This is not an it. R-rated movie, guys. This is they're doing an unrated. It would be full NC-17 if this was being released with Absolutely. a rating. Absolutely, yeah. unquestionably. Absolutely, it is a shock. It really is. I mean, it's well done. It's it's beautifully and and well and here's where here's the fun ruining question of uh, of a male director, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. making these scenes of mm-hmm. these two. Um, young actresses, completely nude, mm-hmm. simulating extremely aggressively graphic sex in a series of positions and setups. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel uh, like it was voyeuristic in a way that made me uncomfortable. Um, it was very stylized. It was very stylized, but also, I felt like there, you know, like the lead up was very. Um, I mean, I guess. I guess when you know the story about whether or not how innocent it is, mm-hmm. um, it 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 doesn't have um, it doesn't have like it doesn't feel gratuitous for the audience. It feels yeah, that's like word. a realistic so exchange of people and fluids. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sorry. I mean, I was surprised at the amount of scissoring. <laughs> They go hard on the scissoring. They really do. Um, and Which I feel like is like a stereotype. Um, <laughs> right. Which is where that thing comes in of like, okay, well, did they have like, you know, was this just how this dude was imagining what lesbian sex Well, that's sex the thing is like, like I mean, when you, when you know more about what the story's about, right. um, there are there are ways that the characters right. might, what, would, have might have heard of sure things. Of scissoring. Yeah. <laughs> That was the best part of that <laughs> review. 
Um, that was a film that we had both seen uh, yes. at the time of the episode. So uh, this, this will probably be more succinct. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, that's what we want to remind you all of about our Handmaiden review was that particular snippet of it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this was one that Rebecca was pushing for more than I was mm-hmm. um, to for inclusion in the top 10. I'm a fan of it, but it's not quite top 10 material for me. Rebecca, why did it stand out so much to you when you were looking back on the year in film? This movie is gorgeous. It's clever and it's weird. Um, again, it's another see it again. I feel like uh, now that I think about it, movies that I would, would recommend to or would myself see multiple times, uh, are definitely it's like a trigger for me to put it in the top. List. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's a good a trigger as any. Yeah, true. Thank you. Communication. <laughs> Affirm. <laughs> Proceed. Um, yeah, this story is uh, super weird. It's uh, not like things you've heard before. Um, it's 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 pretty respectful. Um, and th- that's something actually we talk about in the clip is about um, how it goes through the the how does how does it work with the male gaze of mm-hmm. having a male director. And since then, you have found an interview. Right, with the director whose name is... Park Chan-wook. Nailed it. Thanks. Uh, yeah, there was an interview. Um, Kyle Buchanan of New York Magazine did a series of interviews with directors about sex scenes that they have overseen, um, which uh, was very eye-opening. I, I recommend it for anybody who... I feel like who isn't curious about how sex scenes happen. And, um, and he gets some really great stuff, such as Paul Verhoeven talking about the pool mm. scene from Showgirls, which is just... I mean, who among us has not wondered what was going on in his mind mm-hmm. about that scene? <laughs> he doesn't quite explain. He doesn't quite seem to understand why it's so insane. And he says some weird shit like, "Well, I just film sex scenes like the sex I've had with ladies." I'm like, no, you never had sex like that. You fucking maniac. But um, Park Chan Wook talks about the handmaiden sex scenes, and he actually goes out of his way to very explicitly and repeatedly talk about how conscious he was of not pandering to the male gaze. Mm-hmm. Um, in those scenes and how it was a huge struggle because, you know, he was like, how do you, how do I as a male filmmaker um, film these very, very graphic girl on girl sex scenes um, and not, you know, and do it in a way that feels respectful and not pandering to the male gaze. When I was watching it, and we talked about this a little bit in our original review, I didn't quite think that it nailed that. I mm. thought that it was very, you know, strange, you know, like it was, it wasn't filmed in a way that to me was like, it was just, he, he, he's very perverse as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm, Park mm-hmm. is a very perverse filmmaker. He thrives on perversity. Perversity shines in all of his films. And I felt like that was coming through in the very strange angles that his sex scenes were filmed <laughs> from. Um, and um, so I didn't quite, but you um, at oh, the same time were like, oh, well, it doesn't really, you, you didn't feel like it was gratuitous. You didn't feel like it was um, voyeuristic. You were like totally fine with the way it was portrayed. So I mean, like, who am I to say otherwise? Right. Who are you? Nobody. Um, one of the other things in the interview that um, they mentioned is how to what great lengths he went to make the actresses comfortable. Mm-hmm. They were completely aware of all the scenes, how close the close up would be, mm-hmm. how it was going to be filmed. They removed all of the men from right. the stage. They only had like a woman uh, sound minus uh, the director, minus the director, uh, like a woman sound engineer there, and they let they like. I think they shot the sex scenes on like certain days that like the actresses had a bunch of time to like prepare mm-hmm. and like come in and be comfortable. Right. Um, and I think that that shows. I mean, it, it didn't. It doesn't feel. It feels genuine in a way that that doesn't feel like um, it's for anyone but these characters. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that like, how can you show the sexuality of a certain kind of group of people mm-hmm. who have generally been you know viewed as fodder for pornography sure. mm-hmm. and let it come out in a way that isn't 
um, right. manipulative. Sure. And I think that it's, you're, I don't know, it's hard to put into words how you would just yeah. sense that it feels I mean, it's safe. Tough. In particular, such a fetishized group as like young Asian women. Right. You know, oh, being yeah. Being put into Absolutely. a scene where it's two of them and they're completely nude. They're going through a series of increasingly graphic sexual setups as we talked about in our review. But, right. But again, um, the, the point of the movie is that, it, you know, they are they both come from these like perverse worlds where this mm-hmm. is would be either what they know of and what's natural. It's based on a story by a lesbian author. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of safe safety yeah. uh, nets there. And what the whole thing is about, you know, which which um, the director talks about in this interview as well, is that, you know, the whole thing is really about fighting the male gaze and fighting, mm-hmm. um, you know, male sexual subjugation of women and fighting the patriarchy, for lack of a, you know, less cliche term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so that, when I read that, it did make me appreciate the film all the more, even though I couldn't shake. I don't know that he... I don't know that he is aware of how perverse he comes off as a filmmaker. <laughs> I don't know. Like, like adding, I mean, we talked about this, the sound effects. <laughs> like, that. there's nothing empowering um, or f- battling the patriarchy by adding these sound effects to those scenes, mm. in my opinion, at least. In your opinion. Um, what did I'm you, all I mean, pro sound effects. You are? Okay. <laughs> okay, or, though, like, boing was yeah. maybe a little much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rebecca loves a good, you know, sort of like slap and tickle sound effect. So she's <laughs> a real cartoon wolf sound effect. I believe so. we're I believe we're using those for the buffers in between our uh, our clips this, this episode. So, um, but yeah, it, it, the, the Handmaiden is is unquestionably one of the most gorgeous, um, meticulous movies of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, the story has the story itself is not that mind blowing the original, but the way it plays with its setting and its characters' genders, um, and also the the dual Korean and Japanese cultural mm-hmm. influences is very unique um the next movie we're looking at is another one we talked about recently which is jackie jason's pulling for this one on the top list uh let's take a look and and see what we said about it before this is something that our listeners should take note of rebecca is a kennedy file i am a kennedy file um so talk about watching this movie as a kennedy file because you were you were shook after it was over you were Um, shook Here's, you did not know it was going to be about the assassination. No, I didn't. I thought it was going to be more of just like a cradle, cradle of the, the grave. grave. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice yeah. How are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the here's the compliment I'll pay to this movie. Um, Beautifully shot. <laughs> <laughs> the animation was phenomenal. Maybe want to go to the tropics. <laughs> um, I feel like this would have been a very powerful story if it wasn't about JFK. So... It was, and that makes it great. It's fantastic. But as just a story of a woman grieving and making decisions and going through a difficult time, if it wasn't in the context of the Kennedys, it would still be good. The acting is so powerful, um, and that closeness, you don't, I don't feel like you don't see in a lot of movies. So in that, it's I really enjoyed it. As the Kennedy file, yeah, I wasn't... I, wasn't, um, I feel like I have... Like, my parents, you know, are definitely like... Um, Union style, like Italian immigrant uh, Democrats, who it was like JFK was mm-hmm. like the best thing that ever happened, and his death is like something I feel like I mourned in a way that I'm surprised I didn't live through. I, Were they Catholic? I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was raised Catholic too. Okay. Um. So it it's almost like a you know, like a saint. Um. So seeing that and 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 just not even really imagining what her experience was at that time um, was was is already sad. It's, it's a sad feeling. It's a sad feeling knowing it was the night before the election and things weren't locked down. Mm-hmm. Um, of just like the the death of promise and the death of hope and mm-hmm. um, it, it it was it was devastating. I mean, I feel like it's not a movie where I had like one solid cry. Um, back to the uh, cryometer right, um, right. lover. 
Um, but consistently throughout the movie, I was tearing up. Just yes. it was like one huge yeah. um, rug burn. This is one that Jason, uh, as I mentioned, pulled for uh, in the top uh, of the year list. Um, why did this leave in such an impression with you? Was this one that you didn't want in the top 10? Um, I think that when we were kind of doing our 10s, this one fell mm-hmm. out. But um, for you. Okay. But it's also a definitely high honorable mention. Yes. Um, and, and to contextualize the references that we were making in that clip, um, the screening that Rebecca saw with me of this movie, even though I'd already seen it in, at T. Tiff? Mostly Tiff. At yeah, Tiff. let's just say Tiff. Yeah, let's say saying Toronto. Um, I saw it at Tiff. And um, and then Rebecca saw it with me in a screening the night before the, the darkest election. day of the year. And, um, and you know, and that was, uh, I think it was one of the first movies we reviewed after that dark mm-hmm. day. And um, so, you know, and looking back, we felt very, because uh, I remember we were leaving the movie that night. And, you know, and I think you were kind of like, oh, God, I hope this isn't a sign of things to come. And I was like, oh, God, I'm sure it won't be. It's fine. I'm always dismissing wrong. once again dismissing my dismissing, feelings. Dismissing your lady feelings, <laughs> being like, Oh lady, don't be ridiculous. It's always worrying. Um, but uh you were right to be worried. And um but uh I'm pulling for this movie um because I guess it represents uh similar to what we were talking about with Arrival. This is a movie that takes you on sort of like a cinematic emotional journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it uses all the different pieces of film, you know, from the photography to the music to the acting to the filmmaking itself, all those things being a part of that. It takes you on just, yeah, an emotional trip. And, uh, and I thought it was a really um, spellbinding, you know, to borrow a word you used for American Honey, you know, it really takes you on this kind of spellbinding trip into a woman's experiences. And, um, you know, the idea that Jackie, as we talked about in our original review, is kind of the most unknown known woman mm-hmm. of the 20th century. And um, that it kind of gives you this peek into these this extremely rarefied setting that we all yeah. have this kind of morbid fascination with. Like, oh, what, would that, what must that have been like? What was it like to be her or right next to her during this darkest of hours in her life? And I think the movie does a phenomenal job of, um, of suggesting that. I think that um, the performances minus Peter Sarsgaard, as we talked about, <laughs> are all um, top tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natalie Portman gives uh, one for the ages uh, in this She gives movie. a good voice. Um, you know, as we uh, talked about, we love the score um, yeah, by I've Mika heard a Levi. Of, uh, a lot of uh, compliments and a lot of pushback about the score. Yeah, well, very, the, uh, the movie polarizing. itself is very polarizing. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's consistent with the rest of the movie. And it does go to, I, it's funny, I didn't say this in original review, but... The movie does end up feeling very Malicky. <laughs> Damn it! I thought we would get through. No, no, uh, nice try. Better okay. luck next year. Um, no, it's such a Malicky movie. In particular, the final stretch of it, when she starts talking to the priest, mm. is like hella Malicky. <laughs> um, because that's when you know Malicky is always like about you know that kind of talking about the bigger spiritual um, picture of things. Mm-hmm. And when she's talking to the priest. And you have this kind of swirling editing and swirling music and swirling cinematography and two people walking in nature talking about spirituality. Mm-hmm. That's fucking Terrence Malick AF. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, the movie does take that stretch and it's not my favorite part of the movie. But I guess like I just remember seeing it that first time and from the time the very first bits of the score swell in, it sounds so loud. And then it just cuts to her face mm-hmm. walking across, you know, a knoll out by the Hyannis Port home. I was just 
captivated mm-hmm. and it did not break my my like love my the connection it made with me in that moment was never broken mm-hmm. for the rest of the film and um and uh you know so i i fucking love it and i know it has its attractors i know some particular a lot of older critics are are very hard in this movie and i don't know if that's because they feel like this is their story too because sure. they're gender their their generation and they're like you know and maybe someday there'll be some really obnoxious movie about michelle obama uh, that comes out that's targeted <laughs> to younger people than us and we'll be like oh god the movie is just uh, offensively stupid yeah but that's not how i feel about this movie and uh i, I think it's uh you know aside from the whole could have been played by rachel vice thing which, oh right you know, right right oh rachel vice yeah. she didn't make it in the air top movies this no year. she did not Even she, made, she was she in all, every movie this she year. was in life between oceans she was in complete unknown she was well the lobster there she's in the lobster oh, right. so she, okay. made, she made it through the lobster Hats off to Vice. Excellent. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's just, yeah, Jackie's movie that has stayed with me and lingered on in my uh, memory uh, here at the end of the year. So it made my list. One thing that's interesting about Jackie is that even though it's like one of the most documented times, right? We have TV for the first time that makes this whole situation really accessible, seeing like Lee Harvey Oswald assass- killed on TV, mm-hmm. um, being able to see uh, footage of the assassination and the parade and like everything else being really well documented. Um I also like didn't know what was going to happen next in the movie, which right. I thought was really interesting, uh, because yeah. like, it is a side that you, you that wasn't documented. Yeah. Um. So even though there is a, a timeline that it follows that you might be familiar with, it still is going to take you on a journey that you don't know. Got. Do you did you watch Mad Men? Uh, not really. There the episode where um you know since it goes through the entire sixties mm-hmm. um the uh the episode there is a JFK episode of course and I believe it's it's like um Roger Sterling's daughter's wedding is the day that oh really the assassination. Um, but then there's the, the next episode. Um, they show Betty Draper sitting at home watching TV, and then she's watching live whenever Lee Harvey Oswald is assassinated on television. Mm. And she just jumps and screams and is like, what is happening? Um, which I feel like is our national mood <laughs> in general. Yeah, what a weird thing. I feel like even if that happened now, yeah. we would be uh, oh, of course. really bored by it. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, I mean, and we, and we are they, not that desensitized. If we saw somebody fucking killed on live television, we would still lose our minds about it. Absolutely. Even though that happens like with pretty regular right well i mean if it, was, if it wasn't if it was a white person we would freak out about sure it. Yeah. um but you can i mean you can go find like terrorist videos on youtube and, and Ab- see oh people God, getting killed all the never, time never 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 but can you imagine what it was like in like 1963 to see somebody killed on national television right yeah what i feel like that this the feeling we have right now of, of confusion and loss and um uncertainty must have been so high to know that your president got assassinated mm-hmm. and then you're watching another guy right the guy things who must you have thought killed him so out of control and so strange right we continue the whole decade that way yeah sure did so this message brought to you by mad men <laughs> um on a more uplifting note our next movie alphabetically uh, is one that we both loved and really enjoyed la la land which we just talked about last week so let's just take a quick uh peek back at what we what we mentioned i feel like if you hate this movie you just hate joy itself uh <laughs> i just don't and like and i'm not a pollyanna by any means you know no. like i i you know you're not the, upworthy worthy i am not and i never will be but this movie i just love with my whole heart and people keep trying to ding it because they're like oh it's too eager to please I'm like, why is that a thing that you're mad about? I mean, do you um, dislike puppies? It's <laughs> like, do you dislike your children <laughs> when they're trying, like, making drawings for you and giving them to you because they're eager to please you, you fuck? <laughs> really, really still on the fence about how you feel about this movie, huh, Jason? I stand by every word of that. I like that. We didn't play the clip where you're just like, people are like, 
they can't sing. They can't dance. Oh, yeah, so it's like the whole right. episode review was like Jason being cranky <laughs> about people not it liking just, La La Land. I was so angry because it had really been building the gays, especially gays. You fucking bitchy queens, stop it, <laughs> stop it, stop hating things just because they're straight people. That's bigotry. <laughs> I've been seeing so much of this. Uh, you know, gays being like, "Oh, uh oh, look out, straight people dancing." No, gays, don't do it. This is not a good use of our bitchery. Don't direct it to La La Land. La La Land is a beautiful thing and does not deserve our bitchery. Yeah, I didn't there hear that. There are much bigger hear... things in the world that deserve our bitchery right now rather than a, a, a sweet, innocent, thoughtful, beautiful musical. I didn't hear any of that criticism when Channing Tatum was uh, ganging it up in uh, Hail Caesar. Everyone was okay with that. Right, exactly. Everybody was like quickly trying to figure out how to like get that on YouTube as soon as possible. <laughs> but this one, they're like, oh no, straight people. Meh. No, gays. Fucking stop it unnecessary what a fun movie um what a great thing to watch uh over the holidays with your friends Absolutely. and family couldn't be the better holiday movie it even starts during christmas time it does start and it ends christmas during christmas time, time as well mm-hmm. um it it feels great i'm still in a pretentious jazz mood from it which uh and once again apologies to all yeah you should really be apologizing to my wife yes yes she's like when that when did you buy that record <laughs> uh. <laughs> right, apologies to mrs charlarte <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's beautiful. I, I feel like this is another one. I have not had time yet to see it again, but I will mm-hmm. definitely be seeing it again. Yeah. Um, this is going to be an excellent um, Blu-ray. Keep it on the keep it on the uh, collection. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what a great time. What a beautiful chemistry. Funny, funny movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it remains a uh, best picture frontrunner for good reason. Mm-hmm. Thumbs up from us. And uh, it really is. If you guys are like listening to this and thinking like, oh, okay, it's holidays. What am I going to see with my family? Like genuinely let me repeat what we said earlier. Go see La La Land with your family if you can. Absolutely. It, it's um, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. It won't offend anybody. Um, and it's delight. Not that that should be like the foremost thing you're worried about. <laughs> but, you know, you're always worried seeing a movie with mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. There's going to be like some fucking like tits out sex scene in the yeah, middle of it. You're like, oh, no. Don't They're, run the handmaiden with your grandma. No, 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 no. Or kind of maybe do. Maybe like do. A- Actually, L. Go for L. But, you know, <laughs> but no, this this movie is is it's it's for Everybody, um, it's rated PG thirteen because there's a single use of the f word in it, and wow. it's done in a charming way. Um, Ryan Gosling says "fuck him" um, at one point, <laughs> and um, oh, yeah. and Emma Stone's like, "you say that about everything," <laughs> um, which implies further fuckums. But there's only the one fuckum in the movie, and that's why it's rated PG thirteen because there's no sex, there's no violence, it is just pure musical joy. Um, so uh, we couldn't be happier to put it on this list. Yeah, I think if we if we did rank them, this would probably be number. Two. For me, it's my number two. Number yeah. two. It's yeah. just ahead of the lobster for me. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Um, cool. You know what's next, Jason? What? You should. It's the one you wanted. <laughs> Manchester by the Sea. Wow. MBTS. Yeah. Let's see. For what, short. Let's go. Uh, let's see what we said about it at the time. Manny by the Sea-o. <laughs> uh, I mean, Lonergan is, and he's a genius. He's a, he's a great, gifted, spectacular writer and director. And every single one of these characters feels so real and so lived in. The performances across the board are phenomenal. We haven't even mentioned Michelle Williams yet. Michelle Williams. Or we should say the white Michelle Williams. Yes. Because <laughs> let, let it be her problem. <laughs> let it be on her to be like, oh, I'm the white one. Michelle Williams. Um, I feel like it's hard to be a person of our age and not... Well, we saw Jackie a little bit ago. And mm-hmm. there's one part of Jackie where... Um, I don't want to F- wait comes on. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was just my, my ringtone going off. I tried to silence it. Couldn't get to it quick enough. Um, 
But there's this part where she's like, how does the world look at me now um, after this tragedy, after being like a national widow? Mm. And I, unfortunately, I feel because we are at an age where we, you know, we saw the, the youthful innocence of Heath Ledger and Michelle Williams mm-hmm. that I can't help see her and be reminded of that sadness right that she'll always be a celebrity widow yeah mm-hmm. so, such a such a bummer yes um, and, and and that's so shitty because she has done amazing work oh she's my God, yeah so much more than that and it's not about her it's about just seeing her reminds me of that time sure i mean i think that that was something that we all felt like we went through with her because you know we're all the same general age mm-hmm and, you know, and we were watching them as like this like celebrity couple that we we're like, oh, they're like our age and oh, they're pairing off. Oh, they're, they're a cool couple. Oh, they named the daughter Matilda. That's cute. cute. And, um, you know, and then that, of course, was the shock of shocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and she's made, you know, and this this role, I would say, is probably a bit more mm, it'll be more triggering for people who think of her that way, mm. because her character is also rocked by loss in mm-hmm. this film. And, uh, and, uh, she plays it spectacularly. Um, some have rushed to declare, uh, to declare it her best work yet. Hmm. I strictly stand by her best work ever having been her kitchen scene with Heath Ledger and Brokeback Mountain. When, oh, wow. when yeah. she says Jack twist, Jack nasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's her best work ever. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> Uh, Rebecca, this was another title that you, I believe, hadn't seen at the time that we reviewed it for the mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've now seen it. Mm-hmm. You did not want it on your own list, um, but what did you think of the film in general? Um, and Michelle Williams in particular, because that's what we focused on. I feel like it was uh, less less the C, more Michelle Williams was my takeaway. Mm, um, less was, CEO, more Manny. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it is tragic how little screen time she has. She really makes a impre- uh, fantastic impression. Uh, we we've talked a little bit about what we thought were the kind of the most devastating scenes in a movie that is wall to wall devastating. Mm. Um, although it does have the a lot of lightness with the relationship between him and his nephew between Casey Affleck and Luke, uh, Lucas Hedges. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and there's this scene where um, they kind of had this conversation in the street, Michelle Williams and um, Casey Affleck, mm-hmm. and to me it it was the the crux of what I disliked most about the movie, mm, well, uh, which was like the character, the, yeah, which was the character, which the was main Casey character. Affleck, yeah. Um, I mean, f- there's definitely a part of me that's like, we talked so much about uh, Birth of a Nation and what that meant for that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of talk about why aren't we holding this movie to the same standards because Casey Affleck has been accused of um, sexually harassing his coworkers, which is a different right. a- accusation, not one to one, but also a serious Still bad. one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, I mean, so, and you brought that and you, yeah, we talked about this. You felt like you were bringing a certain amount of that to your screening of the film and that maybe you wish that you, in the same way that we wish that we could have watched Birth of a Nation before we had this knowledge of Nate Parker. We well, we wish, still didn't really like it. <laughs> right. We still thought it was a bad movie. This, um, if you, if he had been played by somebody who you don't have that kind of prejudice toward because of what you know about allegations about him mm-hmm. do you think you would have liked it more or would you still have thought like i just hate this character so much i can't watch i still hate this him. character so much i mean <laughs> a part of it is a, is the a lot of this character reminds you of things um you know it seemed familiar there's a part of Dave. myself that i hate mm. <laughs> a part of myself that i hate that i saw in this character you know just yeah. um uh not being able you know, a young my younger self mm. um this being an adult man who like cannot face his uh, uh feelings cannot communicate at all yeah. um and it's at some point you you stop having sympathy for this character and you're just like grow mm. grow up and and take care of business and stop mm. just punishing yourself and by effects punishing everybody around you because you have not been able to deal with the fact that your f- 
fucked up life has ruined everybody else's and you still aren't making amends by helping anybody else. Mm. Um, So I found something that was supposed to be sympathetic, I believe, to be completely unsympathetic. And you went home and listened to Jewel's pieces of you. I did. (laughs) And I cried and I cried and I I remembered how terrible I was in my 20s. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, like with all that said and, you know, like, you know, with all due respect to the experiences of your 20s, like what he goes through in this movie is 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 pretty fucking staggeringly horrible, Uh, you know, in terms of like, you know, to say like, hey, man up, deal with it. You know, like he is responsible for the losses of lives Mm -hmm. and the lives of, of people who are his family, not to go too spoilery on it. You know, so I feel like that's 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 to me why it works, I guess. Because mm-hmm. like I can see that too. Like I'm all I'm fucking emotionally stunted. You know, like I you know know it is to feel like oh god, like why can't you just go to this place emotionally? We talk all the time about how I can't cry, mm-hmm. but you know, like, but in this film, I think because the tragedy, the 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 scale of the tragedy that's caused by his carelessness, his just brief, just split second carelessness. Um, I can totally see why he could never again just he doesn't want to ever let himself open up to anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes that scene with Michelle Williams so much more powerful and why it's such a devastating sort of dance between the two of them as actors. Mm-hmm. Because she's trying so hard to get him to get to this place where, where he can help her. And he can't do it. He just can't do it. Like mm. he's, he's like, it's not right. there. This thing you're trying to get to, it's just not there. Yeah. I mean, it shows that she also suffered a great amount of loss, but is able to try to make some... Um, strides to improve things um, or have some closure or have any sort of right. communication about and, it. And we know she's, and he goes nowhere. She's remarried and she's pregnant and you know so or she's had a child had a child point, yeah. so yeah so we know she's been so she's been more able to move on than he has been yeah. Mm-hmm. The character just goes nowhere like there's no growth and, and not that a movie's uh, quality is based on like how much a character changes but hmm. there's also like he's the same from the beginning to the end. I guess I don't feel like that's true. No? No, I feel like he grows a little bit. I feel like that's what by the movie works is because by the end he has been able to grow a little bit. So he the, is just the, like, he's like an inch or two closer to being able to he's an inch or two closer to healing and uh, than he was at the very beginning. Hmm. Like by decisions he makes in the kind of final act in the film. I feel like he's gotten just a little bit. Like there's there's little signs that he's starting to come back to life mm-hmm. it doesn't give you like a hollywood ending of course but you know sure, like, but just sure. a- enough that i feel like it's believable that for this character and for the journey we've seen him go on that it pushes him just far enough toward some kind of change that we're like okay like the the future does not look bleak yeah i mean i guess when i left the movie i was like movies about terrible people need to exist mm-hmm. um you know if it would have been, if there would have been too much growth, it would also have seemed manufactured. Right. Yeah. Um, people that I know, that we know, that um, don't go through a lot of growth in their life. Mm-hmm. M- most people. Um, so it is realistic, uh, but it's also like uh, just <laughs> unbreaking that eye contact. <laughs> There's also zero people of color in this movie, and I think you know it takes place in a you know in a very white part of New England. So I think that the the diversity of the cast or lack thereof is not inappropriate. Um, but you know, uh, but yeah, I, I think that she, that's part of what makes it so devastating when you get to that big scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Cause I think the whole time you're watching the movie and you're like, Michelle Williams is in this, Michelle Williams is in this. <laughs> when's she going to have a big scene? not knowing would have been, would have been better. When's she going to have a big scene? And you know, we see her mostly in flashbacks and only very briefly in the present story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then comes that scene at the end. And, um, and yeah, she does, uh, she does great work. Did you, when you finally did watch it, did you find yourself thinking about her own personal life? I did. 
yeah, yeah. as we talked about in that another other clip mm-hmm. um it is pretty triggering considering you know uh mm-hmm. kind of what she's been through right um and i think that made it even made me more emotionally invested in what she was doing and hit casey affleck more <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, before we started taping this, we were just watching some clips from Casey Affleck's SNL. Oh, yeah. Um, Where he also plays that same character <laughs> in every yeah, scene. He does. He does. He also has a scene. There's a clip I didn't show you where he plays. Um, um, there's this recurring skit they do with A.D. Bryant where she plays Mrs. Claus. And there are elves that are like wanting her to punish them for not doing what she asks them to do. Huh. And he plays one of the elves. And it felt like maybe somewhat in poor taste to have Casey Affleck play this character that like sexually harasses a woman into like trying to beat him. Mm. I was like, oh, SNL. I don't oh, know. I don't SNL. know if that really should have. I don't think his publicist would have cleared that. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyway, yes, yeah, so the Casey Affleck thing is a problem, and it does kind of cast a, a, a shadow over the whole thing. But I think as a screenplay, as a film, as mm-hmm. an acting showcase, Manchester by the Sea is one of the year's best. Speaking of the year's best, um, we have our next movie, which I think we both agree is our favorite movie of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the binge. Nine lives. Ultimate binge. Sorry. Yes. Binge it of the year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Moonlight. Moonlight. Let's go back to, uh, you had the uh, pleasure of interviewing the director of Moonlight, Barry Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go listen to a little bit of um, that episode. Okay. Is there a chapter of the movie that you feel the strongest personal connection to? Uh, I mean, everything with uh, uh, Naomi Harris's character, mm-hmm. Paula, yeah. I feel like is very, very, um, it's shared between myself and Terrell, but that's mm-hmm. the place where I see myself the most, like in this character, the mm-hmm. way he relates um, to his mother. And so I'd say that scene in the third story where uh, trip, where, uh, where Black visits Paula, I think that's where I kind of like see the most, the most. Um, but then on the other side too, you know, as people say in these interviews, right. I'm a very guarded, private kind of person. Right. Um, and I think because of my relationship with my mom, just the way I grew up, I do have a hard time sort of like opening up, you know, in, in a personal relationship sometime, sometimes. And so I think the way uh, Trevante and Andre mm-hmm. have this sort of tet-a-tet and that diner, um, it was a very visceral experience for me because I could see in both those men, mm. you know, um, uh, myself yeah. um, and, and so many of my past uh, relationships and, and trying to allow myself to be fully present, you know, in those relationships. But never having 20 minutes of a film you yeah. know, <laughs> to actually like, like study it and study myself. Yeah. <laughs> The use of Barbara Lewis, Hello Stranger, and that scene knocked me on my ass. You know, that's a very... Do you live here? I do, yeah. So that's a very San Francisco moment. So I used to go to uh, the soul night at the makeout room. Oh, yeah. And uh, the Tuesday soul night, not the Saturday soul night. Got it, and yeah. they play the... It's like slow, chill soul. And they only play 45s. And mm-hmm. that was the first time I heard that Barbara Lewis. And I just mm-hmm. remember the first time... Uh, who was the DJ? I think it was Primo. First time Primo dropped the needle on that Barbara Lewis. I was like, ah, oh, this is fucking amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and I did something you're not supposed to do because I went to film school. I know you're not supposed to do this, but when we shot that scene, we played that song in the diner out loud every time because okay. I was like, I am planting a flag and this song is in the film. And, uh, you know, and it's uh, filmmakers or student, student filmmakers don't ever do that. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where I just knew the emotion of that song because um, I knew what it, it had done to me and it just, it just had yeah. to be there. How long did you live in the Bay Area? Uh, eight years, uh, six in San Francisco, uh, actually uh, nine years, seven in San Francisco, two in, uh, in Oakland. Okay. Yeah. And you worked at a Banana Republic at one point? I did. So the, the still photographer on this film yeah. worked with me oh. at Banana Republic. This guy, David Bourne, friend. Um, best job I've ever had in my life. I, I worked the, uh, I was uh, I was on the, the shipping crew. And so 
I'd get there at 5.30 in the morning, the truck would show up, we'd mm-hmm. unload the boxes, but the beauty of it was we would just stand around these massive tables like this, mm-hmm. and we would, you know, unbox things yeah. and fold them, and it's like me and two dudes from the hood who actually put in a medicine for melancholy, mm-hmm. um, then there'd be like a, a, a deaf woman who only spoke sign language, there'd be a Chinese immigrant, mm-hmm. uh, one who spoke English, one who didn't, and the nephew would would like translate the, the, the aunt's jokes at the table and then it'd be like these these white girls who are going like the fashion institute mm-hmm. and we're all just around this table mm-hmm. for like seven hours just talking about our day you know 5 30 6 30 7 30 in the morning and uh and then I'd get off at two and I'd go to the cafe and write so it was like the best job ever the thing I like about this interview is that I listened to it before I saw the movie and I thought it was um, a really great interview and then I listened to it again after I watched the movie mm-hmm. um, and it works on, on both sides. Oh, good. Yeah, what a great what a great interview. Thank you. Um, I never know going in how it's going to go. Oh, you, you can't, you, right? Yeah, you can't expect an interview to go any kind of way. So, But he was very, yeah, I mean, we he was receptive to my, my, my questions and talking flirting. about... Flirting. And yeah, yes, exactly, my shameless flirting. He's an incredibly dapper, handsome man. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we also talked about the Golden Girls at one point because we were talking about <laughs> scouting locations in Miami. Um, but uh, it's also the interview with Barry Jenkins for Moonlight is far and away our, our most listened to episode yeah. in the history of our podcast. And so thanks to all of you for listening to it. If you haven't yet, check it out. Um, but yeah, Moonlight is, you know, interview and anecdotes aside, Moonlight is for both of us our number one film of the year. Yeah, I saw it more recently. Um, and I think, Jason, you had sort of warned me there's been so much good press you gave it such good praise um you know like you were like oh just it's not like it's not huge it's not a huge movie right um but i felt like it still was hmm. i felt like it goes toe-to-toe with any big movie we've seen except hmm. for maybe something like arrival which is right. like there's a giant pod the in the sky right sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> literally it's, yeah. it's deadpool <laughs> about everybody <laughs> right um and this movie is about like one person yeah um but what a what a well-written story talk about characters being so dynamic mm. um and you know life coming at people and f- them figuring it out in different ways um the influence almost like a the butterfly effect you have on people in the mm-hmm. world um but not done in a cheesy way um just a really and i think the another interesting part of this movie is that you we talked about this this can either come across as being a really sad movie or a really happy movie right i've been i've been having this discussion with my wife we saw american honey and we saw moonlight and American Honey, I was like, that movie was so sad. And she was like, I thought that movie was like fun and happy. And I was hmm. like, no, there's like this terrible, depressing part of the world. And this is like so sad to see these like, she runs into these children that have no parents. Like, mm, this was really sad. Right, yeah. Too many dicks. And then, yeah. And then in Moonlight, I thought it was really happy. Like, right. she thought it was sad that there's this whole period of his life that he, you know, is really has zero agency and isn't able to be his authentic self. Yeah. But, you know, things sort of turn around in a way that I, I thought was really not upworthy worthy <laughs> but really sweet and and wonderful and yeah. charming yeah i found it to be a, a, a pretty pretty happy movie yeah no i would agree i think that you know I, I, I and who knows you know what how you would have come to it if you you know like if you just come to it with hearing nothing but like the best movie of the year best movie of the year praise if you still you know i've had a lot of well not a lot but i've had a handful of people come to me and be just like yeah i didn't think it was amazing actually hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I still want to throw it out there just to like, I think that no one should ever walk into any movie ever thinking this is going to be the best movie of the year, 
this will be the best we've ever seen. Sure. I think it's best when walking into any movie to just throw your expectations out the window and mm-hmm. just let the movie come to you on its own terms. Which is be- so hard. I it's mean, very difficult. Easier said than done. We, we have like we anything have a white man says. Directors. Easier said yeah. than done. Yeah. You know, when you see Isabel Hubert is going to be in something, sure. or you see Terrence Malick is going to direct something, like it's <laughs> going to be impossible for you to throw that out the window when you walk in. But with Moonlight, there was if no. I know a cat's going to be in something. <laughs> I need to prepare emotionally for days ahead of time. Keanu is on the honorable mention list as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but with Moonlight, there was nothing about it that would have given us that heads up. Yeah. Because Barry yeah. Jenkins, you know, wasn't really much of a known entity coming into this and no one in the cast, um, you know, like there were supporting actors who had worked before, but, you know, no leads had really done much before this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, like, so it's a movie that I think that people need to fall in love with the same way that film critics fall in love with it, which is just to see it not really knowing anything about it mm-hmm. and, you know, and to walk into it and just let it kind of tell you its story mm-hmm. and come to you as it is. And, uh, and I think that, you know, there was a lot, we talked about this in our original piece about it. Um, you know, we all knew going into this year that there was going to be a lot of emphasis on films about people of color mm-hmm. in particular with regards to films that would be Oscar worthy, uh, coming off of several years of Oscar. So white, and, um, and, you know, there was a very cynical reading of Moonlight when it first came out that, like, okay, this is taking the place of the birth of a nation because it, mm-hmm. it has been taken out by its controversy. And, uh, you know, and there have been a couple of films since then that also are still, you know, powered by people of color that are in the running for awards, like Fences and, like, Hidden Figures. And, um, you know, but Moonlight just stands on its own as such a uniquely thoughtful, lyrical, gorgeous film, as a film that really makes you feel like, I understand how why somebody is the way they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think any movie that actually kind of builds your your capacity for empathy and for compassion mm-hmm. is a great function of art. And I think that Moonlight does that. I think that Moonlight uh, it invites you into this man's journey, and you see him these three pivotal moments. And it makes you want to stop and not judge people as quickly when you see them just walking down the street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, you know, it makes you think, like, what is it that made them the way they are? Because the final version of Chiron, whose name I said wrong the entire time um, during her original episode as Chiron, um, Chiron, um, you know, when we see him in the final act of the film, he is incredibly intimidating and very off-putting. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then, you know, we are able to see behind that. And that's something that the film has earned by that point, mm-hmm. by wa- having us walk through his life as a boy, his life as a teenager, and understanding why he is the way he is. And I think that, you know, going into, again, you know, going into what, we, what uncertainty we have ahead of us politically, a movie like Moonlight is even more essential. Um, just to, uh, you know, to help us to be more understanding and more empathetic as people. It does that so well. And and I think that that is a, um, being able to show you what has made a person the way they, they are, um, could be done in a really heavy handed, obvious, painful Oscar Beatty down your throat kind of way. And this is not, I feel like this tumbled into the Oscar, um, yeah. Uh, conversation and wasn't like it doesn't feel like it was made no. to be part of that conversation Absolutely. where something maybe like fences mm-hmm. and birth of a nation was like from the beginning this one's going to be Absolutely. this is going to be a big movie that everyone's going to like this yeah. doesn't have that sort of pretension around it this is entirely word of mouth movie yeah like entirely you know like when we saw you know when i saw it at tiff it was like it had just premiered at like telluride i think and the critics who saw it at Telluride were like, holy shit. And so it was purely like, so, you know, the, that first um, press and industry screening of it, it was in the IMAX screen at the theater where we have those. And it was when the, it was the first screening in three years of going to TIFF 
that I saw people get turned away from because it was so full. Oh, wow. People just caught the bug. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just like, this is the movie to see. This is the surprise this year. This movie is the surprise. We all need to see it. It wasn't on our radar. Why would it be? But now we all need to see it. And um, and it came through. It didn't disappoint. Mm-mm. Definitely check it out. I believe it's still in theaters. Yeah, it's still it's in theaters, theaters. And I'm sure it'll. Uh, it's such a major award season player. Mm-hmm. And even though La La Land is, I want to make this clear. When we say it's a front runner for Best Picture, we're not saying we think it should win Best Picture. We're saying we think it probably will win Best mm-hmm, Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, you know, in a perfect world, Moonlight would be the winner of Picture and Director. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings us to our last movie, uh, which is one that I'm actually kind of shocked that it made it to the top of our list. Um, but it did. And let's just go with it. Let's not ask too many questions about nocturnal animals. Aha! Let's listen to the clip. Um, so, but back to this discussion of masculinity and weakness. Um, so, uh, you know, this, this, this recurring, one of the, the main insecurity of Dick Hall's character is that he feels like he's perceived as weak. Mm-hmm. I would say that, I would say that it is not a, uh, an insecurity of his so much as it is something that she brought to the relationship. I think that he was sort of, when you go to the flashbacks, he was himself. Mm-hmm. And then she has this baggage coming from her, her parents and her right. family and like their expectations of life. She comes and, from a very well-to-do family and her mother is played by Laura Lenny. Yeah, which is hilarious and amazing. In a perfect, spectacular single scene performance. And so there's a lot about what he can do for her in terms of providing the lifestyle that she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she has this like youthful moment where like that doesn't matter and all she follows is love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, it seems to to creep into their interaction, the, the her perception that probably comes from seems to come from her mother about him being weak. I wouldn't say that he kind of came with that. Yeah. But I feel like it was it was put upon him, and it definitely reflects the character in the novel that he's writing about this yeah. man and their relationship. It's all very Liz Lemon and Chris Cross. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm to draw a connection to Thirty Rock, he's a real Chris. Yeah, he just wants to have his hot dog stand, That's and it. Um, and you know, and then she starts to let her mother, who's like I guess the Jack Donaghy, yeah, uh, get into yep. her head yep. and make her think that like, well, this man is not good enough for you. He's not your equal, right? We can't have an episode without a reference to a 30 Rock no. uh, callback that we had. From my cool dead hands, you will pry my right to bring everything <laughs> back to 30 Rock. So this was a surprise, as you mentioned, yeah. um, that this made our cut. And uh, I was surprised when you said it. I was like, oh, that's right. I guess that is in our top. I've had a few friends um, reach out to me and tell me that they thought this movie was absolutely terrible. Really? Um, and, um, and I mean, I don't agree with them. Um, but I see, I mean, I think when I watched it for the first time, I was like, okay, like, this will be polarizing. Yes. Because yeah. it is so kind of, um, well, it's so queer and it's so kind of ostentatious and so mm-hmm. audacious with its its opening credits. We also, a um, uh, uh, longtime listener, a friend of the show, Gordon Elgort, reached out to me and was like, what? Ansel Elgort listens to the show? Ansel Elgort reached out to me and was like, why didn't you guys talk about the opening credits? I think a lot of people have talked about the opening credits. Well, and I also wanted to preserve the element of surprise. I didn't want to yeah. talk about the opening credits. Um, because the opening credits also, I feel, uh, are a window to the rest of the movie. Because it's a scene where you're seeing something that you don't traditionally see. Because mm-hmm. this movie is about the two opposite ends of this, like, of the social economic. You have the classy LA mm-hmm. uh, art gallery owner, and then you have these, like, Texas rural uh, hoodlums. Mm. Um, and and the interaction eventually the stories of these two kind of weave together in right. a way that would be pretty difficult to do. Right. And as you'd like to call this movie 
Um, it's very audacious yes. in the way that they did I say that <laughs> meld those seven or eight times. Yes, um, I've never, have, have, have ever described a movie as meticulous. That's my question. I don't know if I've ever used that word. I don't think so. Okay, cool. I think that's something that we do look for in movies. A lot of the movies that we picked, Jackie, mm-hmm. um, this one. I like a movie that um, has some fucking nerve that tries something that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's you know that you look for freshness. You look for something new. You look for something you haven't seen before. And Eternal Animals was that. However heavy it leans on certain references, particularly to sort of Hitchcockian vibes, Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's still so literary in its construction. And um, it doesn't give you what you want in the end. Mm -hmm. And um, and it really pushes into the dark places it needs to go to tell the story that it's telling. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think the um, you know the artistry of Tom Ford as a filmmaker is is as strong as any other filmmaker working today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he is completely, completely capable of carrying out and executing the exact precise thing he wants um, from a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's not a frame of this movie where you feel any sort of uncertainty or wobbly, kind of like oh, is this what I'm doing? I don't know. He is so confident as a filmmaker. And uh, the cast is all superb. Everybody's giving exactly what they need to 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 kind of contribute to that 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 final result. Um, I had one person um, say, "Oh, well, I, well you know, the, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's whole journey of revenge makes no sense because, you know, she had his kid." Um, but no, I mean that Mm-mm. that's kind of you know like and that's you know it's mildly spoilery, but you know I think that that's something that confused me when I first watched it because I also thought that. Because we see her daughter in real life, as well as his daughter, who's in the story within the story, and they look similar. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "Oh, well, okay, well, that's that's." So the kind of I think it does get a little. It can be confusing um, because I think that it's not one hundred percent super super clear on like how much time has passed, and it doesn't explicitly tell you that this child that she has in real life in the story is a child that she had with her second husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that aside, I think that's neither here nor there. Um, no, you know, it I, I think that. You know, and we another close friend was like, "What was even the point of that movie?" Do the people who thought that La La Land was too eager to please mm-hmm. like this movie? Because I feel like this is like the dark La La Land. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Where La, where La La Land is Marfa, Texas, and mm-hmm. not L.A. Or right. yes, it's L.A. here as well. Yeah, but it's this kind of kind of like what would have happened? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the choices that you make that sort of put things a certain way? And like, yeah. what have you done with your life? Uh, and right. in that way, I feel like that's that's what the point of the movie is. I know at least one person hated them both who gave me feedback <laughs> about it. Is that person um, regretting everything they do? Are uh, they in a place where they regret their life? No, they are guns blazing and hating all things. Oh, okay. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I wonder who that is. Uh, that yeah, could be one of yeah. 20 people we know. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but I think that, and it's fun, you know, Tom Ford is really kind of like fucking with his average consumer with this movie, too. I watched it with a friend who I know from back when I worked for a fashion retailer. And he is sort of totally the target audience for a Tom Ford uh, joint, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, and he was there for the aesthetics. He was there because he adored a single man so much. And when the opening credits were rolling out, he was visibly uncomfortable. Hmm. And then when it cuts to the story within the story, and they're like, oh, we're going to Marfa. He was like, Marfa! I love Marfa! And I was thinking, I'm like, oh, girl. I'm like, girl, they're not going to make it to Marfa. <laughs> They never make it to There's Marfa. There's no Marfa in the movie, guys. Sorry. I had one. I had. There were times when I've wanted to go to Marfa. That has since changed. Mm. Unless you can fly right in. Right in. There's no Give way. Give me a Marfa International Airport. Driving through the desert always seems like a nightmare. Am I? One of eight reasons. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hawks. Yeah. Vultures. Rebecca's very fearful of predatory birds. Running out of water. <laughs> 
I am. Well, as, a, as, as, a, as, a, as a cat lady, she naturally up. fears predatory birds. Um, uh, but no, that's true. I mean, like I have asked someone who has driven across the majority of Texas at one time. You did? I did, yeah. When in, ho- in college, I went on a trip to, um, I drove from Kent, Ohio to El Paso, Texas um, for uh, an alternative spring break experience where we were learning about um, border life. And uh, and it was, I mean, the drive across Texas takes forever. Sure. And it really is insane how long and flat and endless that drive is in West Texas in particular, which is where this is taking place. Um, so, you know, I think that watching this movie before you drive before before you like drive through Texas would be like watching Jaws before going yes on a fishing <laughs> to the boat. beach yeah because you're like oh god you know you just feel like so preyed upon suddenly you're like oh god this absolutely horrible thing could happen and no one and nothing could stop it because there's there's no power or principality that would stop it no I mean it's weird to have these you know we're such a sophisticated country but we have these large open spaces where you are completely vulnerable mm-hmm. to the heat and predators right. human and animal alike right uh, what a strange what a strange state that Texas is. Yes. Yes. Um, indeed. Indeed. Um, you know, all of our love to our listeners in Texas. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, also but, Australia. And Australia. Uh, big ups to the Aussies. But so, yeah, Nocturnal Animals, I just I just appreciate it as being this kind of invigorating blast of unexpected energy um, in the movies that came out mm-hmm. um, in this fall in particular. So I am perfectly happy to include it in our in our uh, final year end list. I think it speaks well of the year. And it also... As we talked about in our, our, our original review, takes on sort of extra added relevance and resonance post-election. Yes, absolutely. So that is it. That's our. Those are our top movies of the year. Which means it's time to go. We were going to do our worst of the year, but most of them were the same worst yeah, things, of from the beginning of the year. Things were the same, with like maybe two exceptions, two ad titles. One being the girl on the train. Mm-hmm. One being Suicide Squad. Yes, um, and then finally, Collateral Beauty. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> Let me have it. Okay, guys. So I'm about to spoil Collateral Beauty. So if you want to see this movie, don't listen anymore. I'm about to tell you all the things that happen at the end. Oh, so if you're about to see it, how much money and time oh, do you have? God, you just be like, fool. I'm going to burn these $12. You were full. Spend um, that two hours calling a friend you haven't talked to in a long time. The, watching any of the 13 movies we've just told you are our favorite <laughs> movies of the year. What are we even doing here? Um, I was inspired to do this um, by a text exchange with friend of the show, George Northey, earlier today. Is that the uh, handsome George Northey? The very same. Mm-hmm. The future uh, Mr. Norlarte. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so we were talking about the movie and it occurred to me, I'm like, oh, I should tell him how it ends because the ending is so fucking insane. Um, okay, so so you're gonna to can you reset, up. yeah, reset. So to set Let me it grab up, my, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little, a little drink right now. Oh please, please. go ahead. I'm okay. gonna sit back and listen. Okay, so to set it up, um, to to reiterate, this is a story about a man um, who is uh, he's an advertising executive who is grieving the loss of his daughter to uh, an illness, very young daughter, and um, so it's been two years since she died, and he has not recovered from the death. And he is very removed and remote and destructive, but he this spells bad news for the ad agency where he is partner, um, because he has driven down their value and his co-partners are very concerned. One day, one of the partners, played by Ed Norton, um, discovers a, an actress at an audition, played by Keira Knightley, and she has this great idea for the shoot that she is auditioning for, and then she vanishes. 
So he goes chasing after her and follows her to this theater where she is um, uh, she is there with um, Helen Mirren and Jacob Lattimore. And they are these three actors and they're like, oh, we're just putting on this kind of like crazy avant-garde show. And these um, these advertising partners have the insane idea to actually have these actors basically punk Will Smith's character <laughs> um, by embodying these three abstractions that he holds up as sort of like the key principles of life. Those three principles being life itself, time, and death. Or no, love, time, and death. Mm. Love, time, and death. And um, and he, uh, as the film begins, he is giving this kind of big TED Talk type speech about like how like the key to understanding advertising and human nature through advertising is love, time, and death. And um, and now that he is this grieving father, he uh, is writing these letters to these three things, um, like a fucking idiot would. And being like, dear love, how dare you? Um, you know, moron. So, so there's that. And um, so they're like, well, hey, actors, like, could you guys maybe play these abstractions? And what we'll do is we will have somebody there to film you talking to him in public. So that, and you are provoking him and he is responding and he is like freaking out and yelling at you and we'll remove you guys in post. So it looks like he's talking to nothing. And that way we can make a case to like the board as to why he should not have any kind of um, agency or authority over this agency so that we can go ahead and finalize the sale of it to somebody who's willing to pay the best we're going to get. Because one of the partners, Michael Pena, is dying of cancer. And they're like, we need to finalize this sale before that happens so that he can have money there for his family after he passes away. Can I just say quickly, when you told me this this part the first time, yeah. I was imagining that the like Kira Knightley in one of those like full body green suits so they could like edit her out and post and she's wearing like one of those like over the face like green onesies yeah the question as to how they remove them is never explained okay because they're not they're not wearing um, they're not wearing green screen suits at all they're saying they're in full normal street clothes in plain public and they're able to remove them from these scenes so uh, meanwhile so that's story A um, the B story involves um, Will Smith's character as he is kind of circling this um a support group for grieving parents. The uh, the facilitator of that support group is played by Naomi Harris from Moonlight. From Moonlight, yes. And um, and so when he finally shows up one day, she's kind of like, "Hey, you know," she's like, "I've seen you outside a couple of times. You know, I'm glad you finally came in." But he's very like evasive and kind of like runs away. And so they kind of have this um, push pull relationship um, where she keeps seeing him and she kind of has her eye on him and it's like. Hey you, you know, and um, and they'll talk. And eventually, they start talking about their experiences, and and she starts to say like her. She also had a daughter who passed away, and um, and it's actually through her that she says um, the name of the movie, the much maligned name of the movie. Um, she has a flashback to when she was in the hospital and her daughter was dying, and she said there was there was a stranger sitting next to me, and she looked at me and she said, you know, are you losing someone? And I said, yes, my daughter. And the stranger said, don't miss all of the collateral beauty around you. Right. What an asshole. And so she's saying this to Will Smith. And um, and he's kind of like, oh, I can't really, I don't know. Like any normal person is like, I cannot process what that means. Right, exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, so they're going through this whole thing. And, um, you know, and she's like, oh, you know, and, and she's like, oh, so where's where's, you know, your wife? Are you one of... She says something like, you know, like oh, 80% of all couples, just like that, some insanely high number who go through the loss of a child and, you know, separating. She's like, sure. are, you, are you in that number? And, you know, and he's like, yes. And, and, um, and she's like, yeah, me too. And, and she has this card 
Um, she's like, I just got this card from my husband and it says, you know, let's be strangers. And, and, um, you know, and he's just like, huh, well, that's weird. So anyway, so that's all happening. And, um, and they have all these ongoing escalating scenes where the actors are, are accosting, um, uh, Will Smith in public and, and Dowd's in the background filming this. Oh my and, God. um, and she, uh, and the actors are saying, they're kind of trying to work out their mythology with the ad partners and being like, well, what if, you know, what if other people see us? What if other people don't see us? What do we say? And like, well, we'll just say that we're only visible to people who we choose to be visible to. So they're kind of working out this mythology, yada, yada, yada. So, so as the film <sighs> is progressing and um, then finally they get to the scene where they present the footage to like, you know, whoever the decider. Oh, they go through with it. Oh, yeah. So they present the footage to the decider um, and the deci- and Will Smith is like properly shamed and he's like, absolutely, you know, like I will, I don't want to keep you, Michael Pena, from having the money. You, you know, I know what's been going on with you and I would never stand in the way of you being able to care for your family. So yes, fine, fine, fine. I'll sign away uh, my my rights to the company and I'll, I'll sign for you guys to be able to sell it. Um, and then he's like, and I'll sign the, the lawyers like, and don't forget this one. He's like, okay. And so he signs it and he like storms out and Kate Winslet's like, what's that? And they're like, he had set up a college fund for his daughter. And so this was signing paperwork that confirmed that she had passed and that there was no need for that money to go to her anymore. And Kate Winslet starts crying. They all start crying and they're like, oh, we're such terrible people. Terrible people. Terrible people. And they're like, anyway, moving on. <laughs> and um, so, uh, so then uh, there's a scene where uh, Will Smith is like, he runs into Naomi Harris and she kind of like is, you know, I think he's having a hard time and he had this card from her about like her address, where to find her if you ever need her. And so he goes to her home and he walks in and she kind of seems weirdly extra emotional and he's walking around and, um, and she's like, I want to show you something. I want to show you video of my daughter. And, um, and he's like, I don't want to see it. And he's like, and she's like, I want to show it to you. And so she puts it on and it's the same video of his daughter that we've seen him watching. She is his estranged wife. Oh. And they have had this, and it's the card is from him that said, let's be stra- let's be strangers so they can rebuild this connection huh. um, so that they can somehow come back from what's happened. So that's the entire time. She has been his estranged wife, the mother of the daughter that he lost. He can't face it. And she's been facing it more healthily. Parallels to Manchester by the sea. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Women are always handling things more healthily. Um, So there's that, which that in and of itself is not the actual worst part in terms of twists. Um, And Naomi Harris plays it incredibly. Sure. Um, And, you know, Will Smith is affecting in that scene. So anyway, so they're back together. and, um, And in the final scene of the movie, they're walking through Central Park. And they look up, um, they, they walk under a bridge, and he looks back and he sees all three actors looking at him. And um, and he kind of smiles, and um, and they smile. Even though he knows that they were only actors that have been... No, he doesn't know that yet. Oh, so that's the thing. They don't tell him. I don't oh, think... they didn't show the video to him. They showed the video they to sho- the They people. showed the video where there's no one there. They showed the video where there's no one in the video. Oh, okay. And, um, and so that's a video they showed. So he looks up and he smiles and, you know, he sees them and they're smiling. They're like, oh, look, it happened. It all worked out because these actors the entire time have not just been helping, helping him. They've been helping the rest of the partners too. They've been just like doling out advice and kind of like trying to like guide them on the right path. And, 
and you know and helping Ed Norton with his uh, estranged younger daughter, helping Michael Pena deal with his family and his illness, helping Kate Winslet with her old ovaries. So you know, <laughs> helping all of them in their own way. And um, and then Naomi Harris turns around, and looks up at the bridge. She doesn't see them. There's no one there. And then we have a flashback to her in the hospital. And we see that the person who told her that collateral beauty line was Helen Mirren. They were angels the whole time. So they didn't have to do a lot of editing then. Right. Yeah, I know, I know. And I guess that they must have like made themselves visible because Ann Dowd's character, who's the one who's like the investigator filming, never says, he's not actually talking to anybody, you know? Um, so they they made themselves visible to her she was, too. She I just guess. like sent that invoice to them, the PO, yeah, she and was, was like, like "Pay me, right? Exactly for twelve hours of editing, even though there was nobody in that thing." Yeah, precisely, precisely. Wow. So the entire well. time they were angels, uh, who were there to muck around, and you know, Kira Knightley first showed up because she was an angel. And uh, angels are very concerned with the goings on of wealthy advertising executives <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> oh man, what? So, a piece of shit. <laughs> we should. So Jason does this thing where we have a bunch of friends, and sometimes we'll all get together and, and uh, watch a movie. And I feel like you should do that thing where you have everybody vote on the movie, Oof. and then you say you're going to play it, but then you play Collateral Beauty instead. <laughs> and we don't get, we don't, we don't do drugs, but we should get high. <laughs> you should do that. Order some marijuana for this. <laughs> Order some marijuana. Is that how you do it? I, I think that's how you do it. I think that's how you do it. Um, but yeah, so that those are the two big twists at the end of Collateral Beauty. Fuck that movie. <laughs> I think that's what George said word for word. <laughs> um, Simpatico. Yes, yes. So that is my Christmas gift Thank to Rebecca you so and to you much. all is to know what happens at the end of Collateral Beauty and just why critics are so mad at it. Because now, critics hate it so much and now there are like think pieces popping about like, are critics too mean? Um, but let me, I, I've now presented to you, I've now submitted for your perusal and consideration mm-hmm. what actually happens in this movie. Right. And so you tell me, um, <laughs> are we being too hard on it? Or is it just the actual worst? Things happen. Movies are terrible. Even if they have big actors and, and a lot of money, mm-hmm. uh, they could be f- terrible. Absolutely. So don't, and so just a friendly reminder to not watch Collateral Beauty and to instead watch one of the 13 movies that we have outlined in this episode. Um, that. Thank you so much for your gift. You're welcome. Um, happy holidays to you. And to you. Um, we'll see you guys in the new year uh, with some new movies. <sighs> <laughs> maybe I don't know Jason maybe, looks like he's gonna maybe leave maybe movies will stop it's hard to say <laughs> no one knows what's yeah, happening yeah who can say 2017 at least we'll maybe have some good movies coming out of it the and first the first set that I think we're gonna review look pretty good yeah they will be they will be before the pre-inauguration movies will still be good mm-hmm. and uh, and I will get to have my coolest birthday numerically 11717 ooh that's, that's some, my pin those are some <laughs> <laughs> Those are some collateral beauty numbers. TMI, TMI, that's my thing. Right. The, the collateral beauty of all of this is that my birthday <laughs> numbers are funny this year. Yeah, I can't wait to celebrate with you. Thank you. Um, happy holidays. I hope you take some time off yes. and um, are safe and have a wonderful time. Thank you for listening to us this year. Yes. Um, you, look are, forward. you guys make it all worth it. We're going to uh, try harder, even harder in 2017. Yes, and we always welcome your feedback. If yeah. you're like, hey, you know what would be a funny thing for you guys to do? Or you know what thing you guys do that we all hate? Just yeah. tell us. 
And you know what? If, if it if so it, happens that I do the show by myself, exactly. then that might be what happens. Yeah, that thing is Jason. Jason is the thing I hate. <laughs> you know, I care about the show too much. <laughs> I, um, will, I will step away. If you have some time off during the holidays and you have an extra minute, you could be, uh, it would be awesome if you could leave a uh, rating, a review on the iTunes store. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for listening. Uh, happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.